It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. I've been using this scripture. I don't know. It's just kind of got in my spirit. Uh, John three sixteen, probably the most widely uh, memorized, quoted, printed scripture in the Bible. Amen. You go to a football game, there'll be a sign, John 3, 16. You go to a basketball game, you go to a car race, about anywhere you go, somebody's got a John 3, 16 sign. Well, that means it ought to be, it's probably a pretty important verse. Amen. Amen. Now notice what it says. Everybody could probably quote it. For God so loved the world, the world, the world, that he did what? He gave. Amen. What did he give? Did he give $50? Give $100? He gave his only begotten son. He gave heaven's best. Amen. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a there was a, a, a evangelistic uh, notes that I wrote from an evangelist. Let's see if I can get it right. I don't have it written in here. It says, "For God, everybody say for God, He's the greatest being." Everybody say greatest. So loved, everybody say so loved. That's the greatest act. The world, Amen. Everybody say the world. That's the greatest amount, Amen. That He gave. Everybody say He gave. That's the greatest expression. His only begotten son. Everybody say his begotten son. That's the greatest gift uh, that whosoever believeth. Everybody say whosoever believeth. That's the greatest simplicity. Should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the greatest life. Now that all came through giving. So last week we looked at this. God gave his word. Everybody say his word. His blessing. His structure. His access. Himself. When he gave himself, he gave his nature, his life. And this is, this is the one where you can shout, he gave us his position. We are risen with him and seated with him in heavenly places. That's why we must understand that every gift has a multifaceted expression. You say, well, Pastor, I, you know, I'm going to give $100, I'm going to give $10, I'm going to give $5,000. I don't know what you're going to give, but I'm going to give something in the offering. What does it do? It has a multifaceted expression. It pays the bills. It preaches the gospel. Today's Mission Sunday. Oh, I'm glad you're so excited. Try that again. Today's Mission Sunday. So we'll take a second offering at the end of the service. So don't run out giving that second offering. You say, what it's going to do? It's going to affect Africa. It's going to affect Central America. It's going to affect China. It's going to affect Ireland. It's going to affect, it's going to affect India. It's going to affect all kinds of nations and continents. Hungry people are going to get food in their mouth. People with no clothes are going to get clothed. Orphans are going to be taken care of. And the gospel is going to be preached. Amen. Now that's just the natural facets. What are the supernatural facets of it? It's coming back to you. I said it's coming back to you. So, well, I've been giving. I ain't nothing come back to me. Quit saying that. Start saying it's coming back to me. That's why we make that confession. It's coming back to me. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. Running over. The closer you get to God. Now listen to this. I found this out. The closer you get to God, the bigger giver you are. You say, why? Because that's his nature. He is the consummate giver. You cannot outgive God because God is the greatest giver there's ever been. And this weekend is proof of that. Now, now think of this just for a moment. Think of the celebrations that go on in different areas of the world. I've been in different areas where they celebrate different things. But today is a worldwide celebration. Great cathedrals, 
Amen. Big mega churches. Little churches in the jungle with just a thatch roofed and 40 native people meeting. All over the world, there's a celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't happen just once a year. That happens twice a year. So what do you mean twice a year? Christmas time, we celebrate the greatest plan ever conceived. Where that, where that Satan knew that God was going to invade the world and do something about the fall in the garden. So for many centuries, he raised up great societies of conquest, barbaric people who would dominate the world. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, they were ruthless. They dominated the world. That was Satan's armies making sure that any other army that came, there'd be opposition. So what did God do? He slipped a gift into a manger in Bethlehem under the devil's nose. He never knew it, and it has grown into the greatest army in the world. Not an army of death and destruction, but an army of life and light, and that's us. And we get to be a part of it. Isn't that good news? Gospel of John this morning, chapter 20. John chapter 20. And praying back in the office between services, I felt to go in this direction. Hallelujah. I've heard a lot of people now telling my John story and making it fit their culture. And how many of you have heard my John story, anybody? Praise God, making it fit their culture and different things. But I heard it from the horse's mouth. Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? Actually, the person that it happened to, amen, they've gone on to be with the Lord. But uh, how, how many have ever heard the story about the gospel of John, the, uh, the full gospel businessman? Anybody remember full gospel businessman? Great organization. A lot of people got saved and blessed, very active in the late 50s through the 60s, 70s, 80s, I guess even in through the 90s. I spoke in several uh, chapters and, and uh, meetings during the 90s. But they used to do what was called airlifts. And that literally means they would get a group of businessmen and they would go to a, a particular nation and they would bring the gospel. Of course, they would share testimonies, preach the gospel. Many times they would look for other businessmen, you know, and they would usually do it in a, like a cafeteria setting or a, a ballroom setting and serve a meal and then have testimonies and then invite people to be saved and, and filled with the Holy Ghost, different things like that. And so this particular airlift uh, was one out of Houston that went to Jamaica. And so they, they not only uh, were doing a, a ballroom-type ministry and ministering to people, they were out on the street passing out. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're little New Testament with psalms. They're very, they're very small. The letters are real little, and the paper's real fine. And so one particular, actually the, the guy that was the leader of it, was standing on the corner, street corner in Kingston, Jamaica, handing those Bibles out, and a guy walked up to him. Now, this guy had long dreadlocks, and he was, a, he was what they call a Rastafarian. Anybody ever heard of a Rastafarian? You know, they got a couple of scriptures in the Bible backwards, so they're messed up by it, amen? But anyway, he asked for a Bible. And so th th this, this gentleman, he looked kind of concerned. He says, well, what are you going to do with it? And he said, well, I like that paper. That's some really good paper there. I like that. And he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. I'm going to roll, roll me some joints with that paper, you know. And the, guy, and, the, and the guy was just, he was like aghast. He was like, no, I'm not giving you no Bible for that. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, give him a Bible. Give him a Bible, but do it with a requirement. He said, tell him that every time you tear out a page and roll a joint, before you smoke that joint, you got to read that page. So he, he gave the guy the Bible, went on, they had their meeting. And two years went by. And they were in a large convention, full gospel businessman convention in New York City. 
And this man, this, this gentleman walked up to this full gospel minister dressed in a suit and tie. I mean, just, and says, you don't remember me, do you? He looked at him and says, no, I don't. He said, I was in Jamaica and you gave me a Bible. He said, my hair was long and he said, I was all, you know, stoned out of my mind. And you told me uh, that if I took those pages out and rolled joints with them, I'd have to read every page. He said, what happened to you? He said, I read Matthew. He said, I smoked Matthew. He said, I smoked Mark. He said, I smoked Luke. He said, but I couldn't smoke John. I got saved when I got to John. So that's kind of our, that's kind of our catchphrase around Island Church. Don't smoke John. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 1 says, The first day of the week cometh. Everybody say cometh. Cometh Mary Magdalene when it was yet dark. Everybody say dark. Unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, this is at the conclusion of that incredible day in which Jesus had been crucified, laid in the tomb, Three days and three nights later. This is three days and three nights later. Now, Christianity traditionally celebrates a, a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection. Historically, that's incorrect. Did you know that? Jesus himself said, as, the son of, as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Actually, if you study Jewish history and how the Passover is celebrated, you will understand that Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday. Can I get an amen on that? And on a Wednesday at the end of the day, which is around dusk, six o'clock in the evening, he died. He gave up the ghost. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he gave up his spirit and his spirit descended into the abyss. Now, that, that was Wednesday. Then all of a sudden from Wednesday to Thursday, Thursday to Friday, Friday to Saturday, three days and three nights. Then early on the first day of the week, how many know what day that is? That's Sunday, early Sunday morning, as the sun rose. Amen. The sun, as the sun rose, the sun rose. Let me try that again. You might get that. As the sun rose, the sun rose. Now, there are all kinds of stories connected to this. We could actually get in and, and dig in. That's We did that a little bit in the first service. Dug in to some of the particulars of Jesus, what he went through, how he suffered, all the different things. Uh, there's the story of Peter, what happened in Peter's life. There's a story of the two thieves. We could teach on that. There's the story of, uh, uh, who was it that, 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 they, that they let go free? Uh, Barabbas, the story of Barabbas. We could talk about uh, uh, the guilty going free while the innocent are slain. Amen? There's all kinds. But now, this story is unique. One of the reasons it's unique, because God gave it to me supernaturally years ago when I was going through some things in life in which I really needed encouragement. Now, discouragement is a powerful force. Discouragement can get into your life through circumstances, situations, problems you go through, attacks of the enemy, self-inflicted things, but there's all kinds of things that open the door to discouragement. Now, there's many sources of encouragement. Of course, you can come to church and be encouraged. You can pray and be encouraged. You can read the Word of God and be encouraged. But I tell you, there comes times in your life when you need God to encourage you. I mean, you need, you need a visitation. Anybody say, anybody ever need a visitation? I mean, you need God to show up in your life. Now, this woman, notice, her, they call her by name Mary uh, Magdalene. Now, Magdalene is actually the town that she lived in. So she was Mary of Magdalene. Amen. 
Now, if you do, there's not a whole lot said about her. Now, Bible historians and commentaries that I've read after, they, they vary in their ideas of who he was and what, he, what she was. Amen? Now, the Bible says that Jesus cast seven devils out of her. Seven demons. Now, I want you to know, if you're possessed by seven demons, you're messed up. Some Bible commentators said she could have been a prostitute, even a madam, that she, she catered to the Roman army. Others have said other things. I don't know. All I know is this woman was messed up, and, and she had an encounter with Jesus. And when she got, uh, had an encounter with Jesus, she went from mess, messed up to fixed up. Amen. Now, that's exactly what Jesus will do for you. He'll take you from messed up to fixed up. Now, you can imagine, she became a follower. If you study the Gospels, you'll see that this woman hung around. She didn't just receive and go off. She hung around. She followed. So she was there when they took him. She was there after he'd been beaten. She saw him carry the cross up the street. She saw him uh, lay down upon that cross and, and nails put in his hands and feet. She saw the, uh, the earth go dark. She felt the earthquake shake. She heard Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And she saw him die. And I want you to know, she went from a place of ecstasy to a place of being discouraged because the revival that she was enjoying, the move of God that she was enjoying was over. And it wasn't because her favorite preacher took off and went somewhere else. It was because her Lord had died. She didn't understand it. They didn't have understanding of it then. But now two points in this first scripture. I mean, these are powerful. The first day of the week cometh. The Lord spoke this to me in meditating on that scripture. What does it take to get you to quit coming? Now, not just coming to church, but I'm talking about coming, period. You say, what do you mean by that? Coming to the Word. Coming to prayer. Uh, coming to a place of consecration in your life. Coming to be a, a, a giver and operating the grace of giving. What does it take to get you to back off from God? Now, you think about uh, the 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 ecstasy of her life that it must have been after she was delivered you know you could see her and she would you know she probably wasn't allowed near the access as the disciples but i guarantee you you'd see a fire lit and you'd see the disciples around and jesus i could see her behind a tree or somewhere just stretching to listen to hear his words yeah, amen. amen and then every time uh, that she would get his gla his gaze or his glance when their eyes would meet could you imagine what that must have been like and the joy of her life and the glory of her life, being there with Jesus, I mean, in one day it's over. Not just over, but over violently. Over violently. And it says, she came. She kept coming. No matter what, she kept coming when it was yet dark. It's really not what you do when everything's going good, church. When the lights are on and everything's great. I'm telling you, it's what you do in the darkness that's going to put you over. In the darkness of what's going on in your life, things going on in your family, your finances, maybe your own physical health. Listen, that's the darkness of the attacks of our adversaries and the darkness of that first family we were born into. But thank God we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the light has come on. But you've got to make a decision when darkness comes to do something about it. And thank God in this situation, this woman remained active. Let me try that again. You need to hear that. This woman remained active. You say, Pastor, I'm going through so much. I just don't have time to pray. I don't have time for the Word. I don't have time for church. I'm just going through so much. You need to slow down. You need to come when it's dark. You need to keep coming. No matter what's going on, you just need to come and come and come. Amen? You'll see the benefit in just a moment. 
Now notice this. She came when it was yet dark and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now let me tell you something, church. A miracle had happened. The miracle of redemption had happened. The stone with the seal of the Roman government and army was rolled away and the tomb was empty. Which means there are things in life that can be so discouraging, so distraught, that can put you in such a place of depression that you can be a witness to a miracle and not even know it. You can be viewing a miracle and not even know it. That was her case. The tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. Now notice her reaction. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and said to the, and to the other disciple, the other disciple being John, whom Jesus loved, said unto them, they've taken away my Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple came together to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher, seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying together with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now notice this in verse 8. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first unto the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Everybody say, saw and believed. Never get yourself in a position in serving God where you have to see to believe. You say, what do you mean? That's not a good thing. I say, that's not a good thing. He saw and believed. Faith doesn't work out like that. Faith believes and sees. Now notice the reaction, the result. For as yet they knew not the Scripture. They didn't know the Word. They knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away. Everybody say, went away again into their own home. So obviously this situation in Mary's life she looked around. She couldn't figure it out. She's discouraged. She's distraught. So she runs to the big preachers. We'll just use that as an example. Amen. The big guns. The big dogs. Amen. She runs to get some encouragement. So they take off running. And they see the same thing she sees. But their reaction is not to hang around, rejoice, shout, and wait, wait, till, wait till there's some appearance of Jesus or some manifestation of power and glory. They go home. They came and left. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people in your life that are going to come and go. And they may encourage from time to time. But the good news is you've got an everlasting one on the inside of you. And the Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you. And no matter how deep your discouragement may be this morning, he's here for you to set you free and deliver you. Now notice verse 14. Have you ever been there? We, 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 we've all ended up in this position. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. You ever just got to the place where your emotions just took over? I mean, it just took over. I mean, you're just overwhelmed. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe what's going on in my life. Can't believe what's going on in my family. Can't believe what's going on in my finances. And emotions start to rise up. Then you begin to weep. You begin to lament. You begin to cry. But I, there's another word in this sentence. Another word in this sentence that you need to see. But Mary stood. Come on, church. But Mary stood. Everyone else left. She's still there. She doesn't know what's going on. She's confused. Her Lord has been put in a tomb. That tomb is empty. Have they stolen his body? Is somebody playing a trick? What's going on? All I know is I'm still here. That's all I know is I'm still here. 
You say, Pastor, I'm so discouraged. I don't know if I'd come to church. Listen, if you got to come in your fuzzy pink slippers and your bathrobe, then come and sit on the back row and cry. You just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. God will do something in your life. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Now notice this. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now, she walked and looked into that sepulcher the first time. That's why she saw the bodies not there. But then she looked again. Everybody say, looked again. Now, church, sometimes it takes a second look. Listen, every one of us, we've got messages we like, songs we sing. Who was it that sang, uh, that, that preached, don't let the devil steal your song? Sam, Pastor Sam Carr. Songs we sing, messages. We've got that old cassette just wore out. We put it on CD. The CD's wore out. We got it on an iPod somewhere. Every time we hear it, every time we listen to it, it just thrills us. Take a second look. Don't look for something new. Look into something that you already have. Take a second look into that which thrills you. Sing the song again. Rejoice again. Glorify. See, she takes a second look, notice verse 12, and seeth two angels. You say, what do you mean by that? Sometimes you just got to hang out a while. Sometimes you just got to stand a while. Even though your emotions get the best of you, you just got to make a decision. My feet are firm upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to move me. That's the last place I knew he was. This is where I will be. Now she's seeing angels. Everybody say seeing angels. So she ain't seeing into the natural. She's seeing into the spirit. Now notice this. She seeth two angels in white, sitting one at the head, the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, now they're communicating to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Now they know what's happened. They live in the realm of the Spirit. They had seen the darkness of the crucifixion and the burial, and they had seen the light of the resurrection. And they're kind of like, ain't no reason to weep anymore. We weeped for three days. We folded our wings for three days. We bowed our head for three days. But he is risen. But he is risen. Why are you weeping? Now, let me tell you something. Don't get mad at me. For the same reason. Oh, you missed a good opportunity to shout. For the same reason. You say, what do you mean? You're going to have to shake yourself. You're going to have to make a decision to worship God. You're going to have to make a decision to get your shout back, get your song back, get your dance back. We're going to study that when I get back from Ireland on, on the authority of the believer. Now, you know, people try to dance like David did as unto the Lord. We don't dance like that. We dance in the Spirit. Oh, we'll get to that later. Amen. But you've got to get it back. Whatever you used to have, whatever you used to do, however you used to rejoice, however you used to praise God, you've got to make a decision. Devil, you're not going to steal my praise. You're not going to steal my worship. I'm going to take a second look. I'm going to stand. Amen. See it through angels. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? She saith unto them. Now listen to this phrase. This is why this story happened. This phrase is why this story happened. Because God knows your heart. She's answering their question. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Notice her phrase, my Lord. Notice her phrase, my Lord. Not my favorite preacher, not my favorite evangelist, not my favorite prophet. He is my Lord. All I know, I was a woman of Magdalene. My life was terrible. I had seven demons. I was doing all kinds of crazy things. My life was over, and this guy, Jesus, set me free. Now, I'm here because this is the last place I saw him. Now, notice what happens. This is very interesting. 
And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. How in the world could she have known not that it was Jesus? Now, let me help you with that. Because he went on to the cross, son of man. He suffered and died, son of man. He went into the abyss of the earth and took our punishment, son of man. But he stepped out of that tomb on Easter morning as son of God. And we do have a picture of son of man in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But only God can paint the picture of son of God in your heart. And we don't worship son of man today. We don't worship, we don't worship the crucified. We worship the risen Savior. Now listen to her. Listen to her. Listen to how she talks. Listen to her. Listen to how she talks. Jesus said unto her, same thing. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom do you seek? She's supposing him to be the gardener said unto him. Now listen to this. Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where hast thou laid him and I will take him away. Peter's not there. John's not there. Joseph of Arimathea's not there. Come on, church. None of these other players in this are there, but she's there. And here's what she says. I don't care where he's at. I don't care what condition he's in. I don't care where you've taken him to. You take me to where Jesus is and I will serve him there. I think you need to hear that again. You take me to where Jesus is, and I will serve him there. You've got to make a decision. I don't care if the move of God comes down to just me. I don't care if all the churches shut down. I don't care if all the TV preachers go off the air. I don't care. I will stand. I will serve God. I don't care if they come out and scientifically prove there is no God. I will serve God. There was a resolve in this woman. Listen, she hadn't even been born again yet. The blood hadn't been put on the mercy seat. We'll show you that in just a moment. This woman is unregenerate. She has no spirit of God in her, but because of the experience of being set free. Now, let me tell you something, church. You've been set free from a whole lot more than seven devils. You've been set free from the curse of the human family, from the sin of Adam's fall, all that took place through that fall, the death, the destruction, the sickness, the disease, the depravity. You have been set free by Jesus. Now, notice this. She's supposing him to be the gardener said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Now notice verse, verse 16. Jesus said unto her, Mary. Woo, my goodness. Uh, I, if he's never called you by name. I said, if he's never called you by name. It happened to me probably, I would say at least a half a dozen times in a 13-year period and that wasn't the period in which I was a minister interceding, going to the night. This happened when I was away from God. This happened when I was, when I was doing everything I could do to shake my fist at God and say, God, God, I'll not do what you call me to do. I'll not be who you call me to be. Every time it happened, it happened early in the morning, right as the sun would rise. And it'd always be in a place where I was isolated. I'd by myself and absolutely sure nobody else was there. And a voice would come, Rusty, like that, and wake me straight up. I'd sit up in bed. 
two or three times I'd walk around, go through the house, go through the apartment, wherever I was at, and say, who said that? Who said it? And all of a sudden, I knew. I knew. I knew who said it. I knew who said it. He was calling me by name. And I guarantee you, if you will make a decision to serve God with all of your heart and stand against all of the, all of the distraughtness and the, and the, and the depression and the, and the disheartenment that comes your way, because it comes to all of our ways. It comes into all of our lives. But you've got something firm to stand on. And this Jesus that is visiting her is now the Jesus that is in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'll serve him no matter where he's at. I'll serve a dead body. I'll serve, I don't care. And Jesus turned and said, Mary. Now listen, things can be so dark that you can't see God moving. Things can be so dark that you cannot tell a miracle has happened in front of you. But I'm telling you one thing, it doesn't matter how dark it is, you can still hear his voice. He can still speak to you. He can still speak his word. And he can still speak your name. Mary. She turned unto him and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now notice this. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. Everybody say, touch me not. What a phrase. Touch me not. Do you remember, if you continue to read in this chapter and in other gospel accounts, that Jesus walked through a wall and said, handle me. Put your fingers in the holes in my hand. Put your hand in my side. And don't be unbelieving. Anybody remember those? Well, why, she tell, what's he tell, why does he tell Mary, touch me not? He answers the question. Touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father. What? Did you get that? Touch me not. For I'm not yet ascended to my Father. The process of redemption. You say, what do you mean the process of redemption? It began in the book of Genesis when man fell. God gave a promise and a word that gave hope to the fallen family of, of the fallen human family. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, and he will strike at her heel. And then all down through the world, through Abraham, through Moses, through Joshua, through David, through Solomon, through Elijah, Elisha, through Isaiah, then Jesus was born. The process of redemption started. Amen? Then he, then, then he grew up at age 30. He's anointed by the Holy Ghost. And he went around and he revealed the nature of God. One tried to prove his deity. He revealed how good God is. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He produced supernatural provision. He brought deliverance, encouragement, and forgiveness. Then he died on that horrible Wednesday. And he suffered. And the earth shook and convulsed. And the sun refused to shine. And he came off the cross and they put his body in the grave and his spirit descended into the abyss. Then he rose from the dead on that first day of the week, Sunday morning. Now he's on his way. He's what? He's fixing to ascend. What is he going to do? Hebrews 9, 12 paints the pictures. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood. He entered once into the eternal place, having attained uh, eternal redemption for us. Entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He's fixing to go to heaven. He's fixing to take his blood. He's fixing to pour it on the mercy seat. God's fixing to give him a big thumbs up and say, everyone that'll come to you can have me and everything we've got. But he stops the process. Now think about this for a moment. Do you think this thing is important to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Scriptures? It had laid it out for centuries. We looked this morning in the early service at Psalms 22, picture of crucifixion. Psalms 23, the picture of where we're living now, the Lord is our shepherd. And Psalms 24, the picture of the millennial reign of Christ. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. But right in the middle of all this very important work, the Father 
says to the son, hold on. Hold on. There's a little woman that you set free. You set her free. And she's over at your tomb. Now, there ain't nobody else there but that woman. John left. Peter left. Everybody else gone home. But she's there. And she's not giving up. And she's not quitting. And she's standing firm. Now, she's weeping. I want you to visit her. Jesus could have said, well, wait, just, just give me a few minutes. I've got to come to heaven. I've got to pour my blood. I'll be back down. I'll encourage you then. That's not good enough for God. I said, that's not good enough for God. Right in the midst of that, Jesus stopped the process of redemption to minister to a hurting woman. Now, let me do this and we'll close. Is this helping anybody? Anybody going through something? This will help you. Touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father. Look at these two words. But go. Everybody say, but go. To my fa- go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, to your Father. Notice the terminology. My Father, your Father. My Father, your Father. To my God, your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And he had spoken these things unto her. Now, everybody say, but go. Here's this woman. She just ain't going to quit. She just ain't going to give up. She's standing by the tomb. She's weeping. She's seeing angels, all this stuff. Then she has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, go. Everybody say, go. This is the first commission to preach the gospel. Was given to who? Was given to who? A great preacher? A great apostle? Was given to Mary Magdalene. The significance of that is this. 4,000 years ago, the adversary of humanity in a garden came to a woman. Tricked the woman. Fooled the woman. And stole from the woman everything that made the woman who she was. Stole her purpose. Stole her dignity. Stole everything that was righteous about her. And in that 4,000 years, ladies, you ought to just thank God you weren't alive. Because women were were treated as property. They were treated as possessions. They had no rights. They had no authority. They had nothing. And 4,000 years later in another garden, in a woman who represented in her former life someone in which the devil had did everything he could do to her. He had bound her. He had tormented her. He had possessed her. But Jesus had set her free. And when it came time for her to return the consecration, she was there. And she stood. And she would not quit. And she would not back off. And Jesus visited that woman and returned to womankind her purpose, her value, her dignity, and everything that was righteous about the woman. So I don't know if I believe that or not. Look at a woman today. They have rights. They have authority. They have power. They sit in positions of power. That would have never happened without Jesus.
You say, well, how does that help me today? Here's how. You have to make a decision in life that when discouragement comes, that when depression tries to get a hold of your mind, that when, you know, you try to think thoughts and the enemy just shoots thoughts like a machine gun through your head, you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. In, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, it talks about there's no temptation that is among men that is not common to man. Which means every temptation we face as believers is unique to the human experience. Are you with me? Which means Satan cannot step outside the human experience and do something supernaturally to tempt you. Sickness and disease are a temptation not to walk in the health of God. Poverty and lack are a temptation not to walk in the prosperity of God. Uh, people think about, well, you know, I was a drug addict or I was an alcoholic or this or that. Listen, don't you think if the enemy could tempt you supernaturally, he would do it? He'd turn your glass of water into a, to a, to a glass of alcohol. He'd turn your next deep breath into a hit off of a bong. He'd do it. Supernatural, but he can't. Somebody challenged me one time. But what about Jesus? All those temptations of Christ that took place in Matthew 4 were in his mind. They were in his mind. No temptation taken you such as is common to man. But God is faithful with every temptation to make a way of escape and exit. The greatest temptation that comes against you as a believer, it begins the day you get born again, and it does not stop till the day you step into heaven. You say, what is that temptation, Pastor? It's the temptation to quit. It's the temptation to give up. To quit on your faith, to give up on what you believe, because you have an adversary that will dog your tracks, constantly telling you it does not work. It's not going to happen. The prayer that you prayed did not get heard. You're not going to get your breakthrough. Your children are not going to be redeemed. You're not going to have the finances you need. You're going to die of that disease, and he'll do it over and over and over in a relentless fashion. God knew that. So he gave us examples like this of individuals that have a little steel in their backbone that'll stand up to the circumstance and say, I will not be denied. He delivered me from seven devils. I will not be denied my visitation. I will not be denied my answer. And she got more than that. She got a commission. And the same Jesus is here this morning because many of you are going through things in your life. And you're thinking, my goodness, is there really an answer? Is there really a God? Is, there, is what I believe really relevant or is this all just smoke and mirrors? I've got good news for you. There is a God. There is a Jesus that loves you. There is a God on the throne and a, and a Savior seated at his right hand. And there is a Holy Ghost that is in you and a spirit that is upon you and a power that is within you if you'll just yield to it. And if you'll make a decision today, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on my dream. I'm not giving up on my family, my children, my marriage. My, I'm not giving up on the prayers that I've prayed. I'm not giving up on any of it in Jesus' name. I guarantee you the anointing's here to encourage you greatly to go on to that visitation that God has for you. Hallelujah. Brother Frank, go to the keyboard if you will. Lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord. Father, we worship you this morning. Just lift your hands and worship Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. 
We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.